Welcome to Virtual Beer Podcast. Grab an online drink with fellow creatives. Virtualbeerpodcast.com. Welcome back. I'm Jan, and today my guest is Miguel Luis. Miguel made so cards. So cards are a set of playing cards containing questions for deeper discussions. They had a successful Kickstarter campaign around two years ago, and now you can find them in tens of thousands of people's pockets all around the world. So Cards also inspired Beyond Small Talk, a series of offline events in 10 cities from Amsterdam to Manila and from Barcelona to Chicago. The show usually starts with a bit of small talk, but I think that that wouldn't really be appropriate. So instead, how would you like the world to end? Funny enough, I, this is something I've been thinking about. Obviously, everyone's been thinking about this because it does feel like the world has taken a significant turn. But not only because of, that, because of that, but I've been reading this book by Bill Bryson called The Short History of Nearly Everything. I actually have it right on me right now. It's wonderful. And it does talk about basically a summary of all this ideas and discoveries that have formed our concept of the world from physics to chemistry to geology to paleontology and so on. And a few days ago, I had just gone through the chapter about black holes and supernovas and and asteroids. And the way Bill Bryson writes about all this is very vivid and awesome in the truest sense of the word. Not like awesome, like uh, that pizza was awesome, but like awesome in that it actually inspires awe. If I were to witness the end of the world, I would want it to be a real cosmic event. I don't want a pandemic to end us. I mean, I just want it to be something kind of spectacular. I'm aware this sounds so callous and, and selfish, but for humanity to end via a disease is so anticlimactic and and boring and long and drawn out and dreadful. But for example, I mean, even if an, an asteroid crashed and for us to witness the, uh, the, the plumes of air getting launched into the sky, to witness a um, volcanic winter, that would be awesome. Or if a black hole were to open, um, to form close enough to our solar system that we can see light bend and 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 to see our gravitational pull get, I don't know, warped, that would be amazing. I mean, I'm, I'm aware that it would probably last a few seconds before we're vaporized or turned into noodles, but it's worth witnessing. It's kind of cinematic. I'm a very visual guy and I want something to blow my mind right before destroying me and everything in its entirety. I want it to be a grand finale. Do you want me to ask you a question? Would you rather go to jail for a murder you've, you've never committed or kill someone and never get caught? Oh, wow. Okay. I think I would rather kill someone Why? and never get caught. <laughs> Why is that? Because basically, if you go to jail for a murder you didn't commit, that means your life is taking a turn for the worse. Whereas when you kill a person and don't get caught, whatever made you kill gets better afterwards. Right. I mean, sure, in the case number two, you'll have the guilty conscious, but yeah, murdering someone is probably the lowest point you can get to. Right. So I guess that means that after that, your life goes upward i guess i don't know what does this say about me as a person like and how many people are going to tune out of this podcast <laughs> after this? 
I mean, it's really just a question if you'd rather be trapped by your by a, an actual prison or trapped by your guilt if you have guilt. Uh, I don't want to deduce too much in what this says about your character, but interesting answer. <laughs> These questions were from SoCards, and we're going to talk more about them very soon. But first, what are we drinking? What I have with me right now is a homemade gin basil smash. Just gin, lemon juice, and a whole bunch of basil. I didn't have lemons, but I used a, there's a Filipino fruit called calamansi, which is like a tiny lime, um, and I used that instead. It's like, it's like tiny like this. Very sweet, little bit of bitter in it, and it's excellent for cocktails. So that's what I'm having. What about you? Well, I'm going to try and be very serious about my drink tonight because I'll be drinking whiskey. For a long time, I thought I didn't like whiskey and that whiskey is just one of those things that you add to other things to make them more alcoholic. However, recently I realized that that was only because I mainly encountered really bad and really cheap whiskey so far. So tonight I'm drinking an Ardbag, if I'm pronouncing it right. It's a single malt Scottish whiskey and I just picked it up today. There's a really good whiskey store in Rotterdam. Um, and what are we gonna cheers to if to cheers is a verb? I would cheers to maintaining our sanity and better sleep. Yeah, I'm definitely <laughs> gonna drink to sleeping tonight. Cheers. Virtual beer. How would you describe so cards? What would be your elevator pitch? It's on the deck. It's a collection of questions for deeper discussions. <laughs> it's a pack of cards. Each deck contains 52 questions, each designed to foster deeper conversations, which would hopefully lead to deeper connections between people. When you say each deck, uh, how many are there and what's the difference between them? There are two decks. Well, two decks in print. There's volume two and then there's the more than friends deck, which is designed for couples or people who are, who might turn into couples. You know, people who are more than friends. Volume one is currently out of print. Maybe I'll bring it back out. I don't know yet. We'll see. And then I'll, I'll definitely release a third deck. So there's a particular difference between volume one and volume two, right? They're not the same. I try to refresh the lineup, you know, every year. Like I'll, I'll keep maybe like two or three favorites, but for the most part, it's all new. Um, and I'm always like constantly revising. I have like a notebook full of like questions and notes. Um, and they're always like, there are questions from this deck that I'm, I'm already super sick of, or I'm aware like are kind of like flops compared to others and I want to take them out. So we'll see. I think in August, if everything falls into place, I'll uh, release a new edition. And before we dive more deeply into the questions and the inspiration for them and all that, is there a proper way to play the cards? There is no proper way. There's no official way, but I mean, in the deck of cards, which I'm, I'm holding one of them right now, I've listed ways of playing. There's the uh, cards against humanity sort of way in which you play with a group and each person picks one card and they ask the question and everyone has to answer it. And then the person whose turn it is will pick their favorite and then they win that card and then move on to the next and everyone has a round. There's the more chaotic version where everyone just, like it's where just popcorn it, you know, everyone gets to pick their own card and answer their own question and go through the deck. Or there's one where you play 
usually one-on-one, -on -one, and you try to guess each other's answers, test how well you know one another, see what that leads to. Okay, that sounds intimidating, yeah. but um, <laughs> also it sounds like a good exercise, I guess. There's that, and people have turned it into a drinking game too, I know. There's Power Hour, where you take a shot of beer every minute, and for each minute you discuss one question. It's pretty intense. By the end of it, well, you don't reach a whole full hour because there are only 52 cards. So power almost hour. Power 52 minutes is not very catchy. <laughs> so how did you get the idea for the cards and why are they cards? I've always been, never been a big fan of small talk, mostly because I'm not that good at it. Uh, when I moved to America when I was 17, and that was one of the cultural quirks, I guess, that I found really hard to get used to. Um, everyone's just like ready to talk. You enter a store and they say, oh, I, I like, how's it, how's it going? Blah, blah. I always get caught off guard by the American questions. A lot of Americans I met, uh, one of their default small talk questions is, do you have any plans for the weekend? Like first, I don't know. And second, I don't know you. So why do you want to know? Yeah, right. It does catch me off guard. I've, I, I've always felt like, do Americans just have always have something to say? Like, it's so much pressure to like have that be ready to spring into like a conversation. And then, and seventeen-year-old me was just like, Ugh, uh. and then I found out like everyone just says like, oh, I'm good. How about you? And then move on. But then, when I would try to start a conversation, I also found out, you know, inversely that it's easy to start one, but it's difficult to bring it to a place that has more substance. And so I started tweaking things. Um, like instead of asking, how was your week? Like I would say something like, what was your favorite part about your week or your day or whatever time? And I noticed like, yeah, that would make a little bit of a difference. And uh, I started sort of mentally making a list of questions that I liked to ask. And eventually among my friends, especially the ones in Manila after I moved back, like they gained this sort of like reputation as the guy who's always like veering conversation into somewhere more like deep or sometimes, <laughs> you know, sometimes it becomes like a little intimidating. And yeah, I would do that. I would have like this mental list. And one day I, I wondered, is there a way to make this a lot more accessible for other people? Like it's an experience that I find so rewarding. Is there a way to share this with others? At that time, I was playing a lot of um, board games and I figured a deck of cards might be cool, especially because it's, it's a familiar form, it's accessible, it fits in your pocket. And it's something that everyone has played and has known, everyone knows the dynamic of playing cards. A lot, most of us at least want to have these deeper conversations, but it can be intimidating. And we, we are we're scared of making the first move and either feeling getting rejected or people look at us, like give us a weird look. But by turning it into a deck of cards, it is less intimidating. And when you pick a card and the person finds it like it might, if it's too personal, you're not the one to blame. You can blame chance. You can blame the game. Uh, blame me. It's hard. Like, it does throw people off, catch people off guard if you just like ask if you'd rather get away with murder right off the bat. But this card and the way I've designed it and everything, it was all with this intention of creating this like conversational Trojan horse, you know, like Here's the thing, it looks fun. And like, oh wait, now we're discussing my childhood and my insecurities, oh my God, I'm in love with you. Ah, how did we get here? For a long time I was, and still do, 
I, I make documentaries, nothing long. Longest I've made was like 10, 15 minutes long or something, or I've made like a two season run of like 90 second documentaries. And in the process of making these, I've had to interview a whole lot of people. And when I interview people, I have to come up with questions that get them to open up, especially if it's someone that's been interviewed before. And I want to find ways that will get them off their script. If it's like a musician or whatever, I don't want to ask like, oh, who, what's your inspiration? When did you start playing guitar? Blah, blah, blah. I'll veer off to something that they never thought about and then maybe veer back into like music, you know? Okay. You had a Kickstarter campaign to turn the SOW cards into an actual product in 2018, and the campaign surpassed its goal. Can you recall what did it take to get there in the first place? Oh my god. The entirety of my being. <laughs> what it took is a month in which I poured out every last bit of me and <laughs> my sanity. Um, that was a very tumultuous time. <laughs> it was the end of my master's program. I finished doing a master's at the University of Amsterdam. My lease was up at my apartment. I was going to move. I was running out of money. No, I'd run out of money and I was in the, I was in the red. You know, I think it was a, I had negative euros. <laughs> but also I knew in my heart that it was the only time where I could like really devote all my focus and attention into making this happen. I mean, I did have money and I used it all for this. How did you know that that was the project you should be focusing on? Because it sounds like an all or nothing kind of situation. I had, at that point in my life, I would finished my thesis and I finished it a little early, but for immigration law reasons, I couldn't get a job yet. I couldn't, you know, like I was just in this weird purgatory because I hadn't officially graduated and I couldn't apply for another visa. So instead, I'm just I was just like floating around. And so I was like, what should I do to to like keep myself busy? And I'd had this idea before I even moved to Europe. Um, and I've made I had made a few like prototypes and showed it to my friends and family that they really liked it. But I had to like set it aside when I moved and I did my master's and I thought, OK, before I find a job or whatever the next chapter of my life will be, Here's a moment when I'm absolutely free and I need to bring this to life. Also, I'm a firm believer in the whole like, oh God, it sounds so spacey and esoteric, but like the, the collective consciousness, you know, um, where basically I, I think as soon as you come up with an idea, someone else is already working on it. Yeah, because like every idea is uh, derivative and you got to make it happen. There's a race immediately there's no way to be completely original at any point yeah this is not i don't think this is an original thing this, there have been versions and iterations of this for ages i do feel like it's having the conversation card thing it's having its moment in pop culture i've seen a whole bunch of others that have launched around the same time as so cards and so i was right in that i had to spring into action at that time and so yeah i i, I did i did that and i feel like that was the right move it was stressful and I had to like, there was a whole process of like, I, I had a flight plan. I was going to LA to visit friends and I used that time to like film the campaign video, write down all the content, make a list of everyone I needed to like pester, <laughs> ask for support. And for the entirety of July, I spent every single waking hour trying to like just message people and tell them about this campaign and try to like find more backers while looking for an apartment. 
looking for a part-time job, finding a part-time job that was miserable in retail where I was folding clothes only to watch kids come in and mess them up, all the while thinking how much time I could be working on this campaign instead and then going home and then messaging people until I'm too tired and then I pass out and then I wake up and do the same. It was... That sounds very <laughs> intense. It was wild. It was intense. And I, and I loved it. Uh, you know, it, it was a very fulfilling process. But just to reiterate, how long did the idea exist at that point? And how many people had played the cards before you officially launched them? Huh. I moved here in 27... Yeah, moved to Amsterdam in 2017. I think the very first version was around Christmas time of 2016. Um, and then, yeah, just like... I had this printing company in Manila do a few versions and I showed it to people and they really enjoyed it. And then it spread through like word of mouth ended up like delivering a bunch of decks to friends and friends of friends. Um, and those prototypes, like they had typos that like the cuts were imperfect, like some are off center, um, color was inconsistent. There was one version where the printer thought the bleed was the actual size. So it was like a few millimeters bigger than it should be. It was like, what? This doesn't fit in anyone's pockets. But you know, like technicalities aside, the concept was strong enough um, and I would say maybe like a hundred, maybe a hundred people had gotten copies by then. And apart from Kickstarter, how did you promote the cards? You did mention word of mouth, but uh, did you do anything else before the, the, the Kickstarter campaign? I know that at this point there are Skip the Small Talk or Beyond Small Talk events happening around the world, but I'm curious how it all began. I mean, in the beginning, it was purely through word of mouth. Uh, I was improvising. I had, a, I had a rough blueprint of how to go about things, but then I was learning as everything was happening. When you launch Kickstarter, a lot of people reach out and offer their services, blah, blah, blah to help promote. I tried one and realized like, nah, this is a scam. I think it was some like Serbian company that's like, okay, for 20, 30 euros, we'll get this traction. Then I'm like, uh, maybe. I'm Serbian uh, and I had no idea people did that there. <laughs> I was naive and I'm like, here's 20, let's see what happens. And nothing happened. <laughs> um, I, I did reach out to people that like, that's the cool thing, that I reached out to people that I had admired. So I wasn't like the super strategic, like marketing guru, whatever. Like I never, I still am not. But my whole idea was growing up in my creative infancy, there were people that I admired and maybe I can reach out to them at the very least to show my idea and see if they like it. And so I did, I emailed this photographer, Nick Onkin, and this other photographer, Jeremy Cowart, and all these other people that I like, whose Flickr accounts I used to follow. Just to be like, hey, you're cool. You like, you, you, you do a podcast and you like talking to people. I have the this thing that's like all about conversation check it out and then lo and behold they would reply with not just like enthusiasm but also like they ask like hey could you send me a copy like and i'll and i'll like talk about it and i'll show it in my stories i'm like cool yeah do it and so this that nick onkin guy like did a story and that guy like a few weeks before i talked to him had just done a podcast with usher and i'm like oh that's awesome Jeremy Cowart, like he's an, also a celebrity like photographer and he like tweeted about it and some other people found out and then this like podcast slash 
media company called The Good News or Good Good Good. I got in contact with them and they like posted it on Instagram and that gave me some traction. So this whole Kickstarter thing, I was so ill prepared in retrospect. There were so many things I did wrong. I didn't have a giant mailing list of 500 people minimum. I didn't have the most visually striking campaign page. It was their giant bodies of text. I should have collaborated with a way better graphic designer to like make infographics and, and GIFs and whatever. And, and the way my campaign was tracking, there was a chance that it would hit the goal on the very last day. It was about 50-50 when supposedly a successful campaign would hit that goal within the first three days to a week because by doing so, it would signal to Kickstarter that they have something worth promoting, that there's something that people really like. And so there's a bigger chance for it to land on the front page or in their like projects we like list. Um, and I didn't know right at that point it doesn't even matter anymore because you already have your funds right I know but it could have been so much bigger no I I don't know (laughs) (laughs) I mean sure everything can always get so much bigger no this sounds weird wait yeah no there's this like there is this that idea of just like of of momentum and it's not something that I'd really I'd factored in when I started and I should have I should have known this. I mean, I was doing as much as I can to read guidelines and advice from other Kickstarter creators, and I got as much as I could to scrape by, but I didn't absorb enough to really excel in this platform. Um, So maybe one day, if ever I feel like I want to do that, I have all these ideas. But right now, man, it it takes so much energy. It is... uh, I feel so pompous comparing it to birth, but it feels like that. I mean, yeah, there are always ways to do something in a more optimal or more optimized way. But I mean, if I waited for all the perfect conditions to start this podcast, I probably wouldn't have started it. So so you can always be like, oh, there's so many things I could have done better. But in the end, it worked. Oh, that's true. Yeah, there's always an optimal time, but there definitely is also a time in which you should not do it. You shouldn't learn to fly when you don't you, you don't have the proper mechanic any basic knowledge of the mechanics of flight. <laughs> you don't have to know enough to to be able to do like complicated maneuvers, but the basics, get it down. And I think I had enough of the basics to survive. And every weekend one new thing would happen that would give me a boost. An influential friend would would post about it or a blog would pick it up skip the small talk like happened so the event started during the campaign that event was not my idea initially the event came to be sometime around the last stretch of the campaign at that point i had shifted to reaching out to hostels and hotels basically people in the travel industry because i thought this is also something that might be appealing to travelers and one of them was the arcade hotel in amsterdam which is like a themed hotel that has like a lot of old school, like 90s games and everything. They're great, they're fun. Um, I sent it to them and they were very enthusiastic with for the idea. So when you say you sent it to them, did you send them the link to your Kickstarter or did you send them an actual pack of cards? No, I sent them a link to the campaign and told them like, if you're interested, I could send you a pack as well, blah, 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 blah. This would be great for your guests. And then they replied and said, yeah, this is really dope. I think this aligns with our like with our values of creating community, etc. How about this? Instead of just like buying a bunch of decks, what if you know we're so we're open to letting you 
host events here. So if you want to do like an official game launch, we can make it happen here. And I'm like, oh, interesting. Cool. That would be, that would be fun. Um, and then in my head, I'm like, oh, maybe I could use it as like a live fundraising campaign. How do we do that? And so we met and then we set a date because it was like the last stretch. Like I said, we set a date for, I think like August 2nd or something. And that was it. I had no idea what we were going to do, but me and a friend like started planning and trying to find ways in which how can we let people sample this idea and then how do we make it like how do we get their money you know um how do we convince them to fund this blah 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 and then in the process of brainstorming i realized like i don't want to do that i don't want to create a fundraising event i don't need a spotlight i just want to like spread this idea this culture that i'm into of like people diving into like open conversation and so we thought okay well, what do we call this and then we just came up with skip the small talk like oh that's catchy it's alliterative i can already see the name in a poster let's make that happen so created skip the small talk made a a meetup page and a facebook event etc launched it i think 10 days or so before the date and then in our heads we we're like uh maybe like 15 people will show up and they get to play the game and they'll have fun blah blah blah, blah. but then it was a catchy enough concept and a catchy enough name that it like really attracted a lot of people and we ended up with 50 people in one night I'm like it was insane and it was like the the peak of summer too everyone was like sweating um we were all soaked and yet they all stayed indoors and and played and yeah that's also that time of year where you don't organize anything because nope. people are either traveling yeah. or just suntanning somewhere we were very cynical and then surprised by the enthusiasm and how well received it was This episode of Virtual Beer is a bit longer than my goal of about 30 minutes per episode, but I promise you it contains very useful information. Coming up, how do SoCars as a business look today? And Miguel's tips for your own Kickstarter campaigns. VirtualBeerPodcast.com Would you say that SoCars have become a business in the meantime? Or what did a successful Kickstarter campaign mean to you and mean for your life? A successful Kickstarter campaign really meant like I didn't intend it to be this like all-encompassing business or whatever. I just wanted to bring an idea to life and maybe put out enough decks for like uh, at least two batches. And that's it. And while I looked for a job or more projects as a filmmaker, etc., but it has become a business. It has become the thing that has kept me afloat for the past two year year and a half and it's grown from just like it's a little side hustle to it's an actual sustainable business do you still do filmmaking i do yeah actually I'd, i mean i did take a hiatus to focus on growing slow cards but i went back into got back on the helm a few months ago and in january i shot a series of five mini documentaries for adidas in the philippines I shot a quick thing in Sweden uh, before this pandemic, and I plan on making more once uh, all of this blows over. What does working on SoCards look like now? When it comes to businesses that launched on Kickstarter, you don't really think about what happens after like what happens after you've delivered all the perks and distributed all the leftover products well okay at the very core of it there's the conceptual side the creative side which uh, the part where i come up with questions and 
I write them all down, usually starting with like a notebook, and then I chop them down. I, I have trusted people that I show questions to or I test them out with people, and then I chop them down to like 52. And then from there, I put it on to like Illustrator, create the design, make sure the design is good, show it to the printer, etc. And there, so the creative part like that, to me, it's like, I mean, I wouldn't call it easy, but it's the most like familiar part. The most fun part, maybe. Yeah. Because ideation is always the fun, creative part, but then comes everything else. It is fun. It's the most easily romanticized part. And then there's the the marketing side. Marketing, is, you know, that's when you come up with like the social media presence, etc. I guess there's a line that I like, I prefer to blur. I'm not big on treating social media purely as a marketing platform. Like I don't, I just don't like that idea. It's, uh, it's way too cynical and I hate it. I hate the whole influencer like hustle. The most markety part of this is when I do pay for ads. Like when I did, when I would try to launch events in new cities, I, I would do boosted sales. And that's when I try to understand like, what is my audience? How do you design them on Facebook, um, Facebook's business interface? How do you create new audiences in Instagram that are that would be most receptive to my content, etc.? cetera? Um, this is stuff I had to learn. And then there's like the social media part that is actually nice. Like it, I don't, so when it comes to content, it's not about clickbait, it's not about finding the right hashtags or the right captions. It's more just, how do I keep cultivating this community? How do I create like enough real connections with with followers? And how do I start conversations with them? Like, I don't want to be an influencer. I don't want to be like the person who offers sage advice or whatever, because it's like, I'm fallible. Like, don't look at me. But there's not enough content out there wherein you invite others to like tell their story. So I'm just there to listen. Um, and show other people's stories. And then the, the least romantic part of all is running an Amazon seller page, learning proper accounting and, and forecasting like my costs and, and earnings and all that. The cost of printing, the cost of shipping, taxes, obviously, all that fun stuff. Someone, tr someone wanted to collaborate and get involved with Soul Cards because she really wanted to create more passive income. But then in my head, I'm like, so far, everything I've been doing has been not even close to passive. These days, it doesn't take up the entirety of my day, but I do devote a significant chunk of time every single day to like making sure all the orders are fulfilled, talking to like the fulfillment company and, and finding ways to expand and creating content. Like because mine is very like interactive and engagement based, so much of the content is is dependent on what people submit. It's not like I could create this humongous batch that I could like let out slow drip, you know? I read an interview with you uh, preparing for this podcast where you said, if I remember correctly, that you don't create content to market a product. You, you market a product to create content, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't create content to keep for the sake of selling product, the way I see it is I sell products so I can keep creating what I want to create. Like the, these cards, the sales of the cards, um, they've been good enough that I've been able to like, I've been able to hold events at a, at a much more reasonable price, you know? Like I'll charge five euros, which is just enough to like pay, um, my team for their time. Like, even though they would gladly volunteer, I'm like, I value your time. Like, I'm gonna give you money. And and also whatever venue, you know, and they get a cut. Uh, I mean, they get like 
drink sales and everything. Um, and it's not a big money maker like events like no like it's enough to it'll buy us groceries for a few weeks and that's about it um and then the the more like the more these decks sell the less i have to worry about you know um making money and the more mental space i have to just like keep coming up with ideas and the more time i could devote into just playing with content um, and I think that's just so much it's not a desperate plea it's I'm not clawing um, my way to like people's wallets you know um, and you can tell sometimes when when content is so desperate to just like get you to click on their link on their bio and buy whatever magic product and I'm just like I don't want to turn it to that if it's no secret how many decks are out there Roughly, how many have you sold? Ever? I mean, if it is a secret, you don't have to answer it. It's but. not a secret. It's just more like something I don't really, I don't have the accurate figure, but at least 20,000 are out there. Oh, wow. I think. Okay. I know that by the end of this year, there will be 12,000 decks bought in America. That alone. is quite impressive. Yeah, I mean, it's not something I expected when I launched that Kickstarter. It was just like, oh, I hope like a few of my friends will get it and they'll show their friends. Let's talk more about Kickstarter. Do you have any tips for a successful Kickstarter campaign? Even though I know that you think that yours wasn't as successful as it could have been, but it did reach the goal. It reached the goal and also like I've learned from my mistakes. I know that number one is talk about it like as soon as you can. Tell people about it and start collecting those email addresses. It's like the number one tip in every like Kickstarter group, blog post, whatever. I didn't follow. But that is also the most intimidating part. It's so intimidating because it's so vulnerable to just be like, I have this idea and they're like, what if they shit on it? Um, and yeah, so that, um, keep refining the idea. Don't be afraid of people like criticizing it, but only, but show the ones whose criticisms you trust. Not the ones who would like praise you auto automatically, not the ones who would crush you out of, I don't know, jealousy. How do you know who gives you good feedback and who just crushes you because? The people, <laughs> the people who will not laugh at every joke you tell. <laughs> right. Those people. <laughs> okay. That's a good life advice. Yeah, not, you know, you want to have friends who will laugh at the jokes that are genuinely funny, but will not stomp on you, you know, when, when yours flops. They're a good company to keep. Let's see, do that. There are certain seasons, I guess. I mean, look up Kickstarter best practices on Facebook. They have, that's just like a treasure trove of resources. They'll talk about like ideal days of the week to launch. Go launch on a Tuesday, Wednesday or Thursday, not on a weekend when everyone's busy doing other stuff in a non-pandemic afflicted world. And never end on a Saturday or Sunday because you want that extra boost at the end. In terms of your campaign, make sure it is visually compelling. Don't load it with giant bodies of text work with a graphic designer if you're not good at graphic design learn the rules of visual hierarchy make it in such a way that a quick skim is enough to give them an idea and convince them to back it work with find your strengths and weaknesses i guess like if you know if you have video making skills you have copywriting skills like yeah use them but if you don't collaborate with someone work out a deal yeah, give offer whatever percentage of your like final a tally to them if you need if you're short on cash so basically the the standards when it comes to kickstarter campaigns are pretty high at this point high. you could have gotten away with 
you know, not as visually perfect campaign several years ago, but nowadays everything's so highly produced and very like polished and stuff. You don't want to look worse than anybody else, right? No, like even like Cards Against Humanity's Kickstarter video, like it, it looked like it was shot on a webcam, not even like a good webcam, like 2008 internet cafe quality webcam. And yet they were able to raise a significant amount of money, of money and now they're like part of pop culture history. But now everyone's on Kickstarter and everyone has video making skills or knows someone who does. So you gotta be top tier or have a really, really authentic, compelling story. What happens if you put in all that work into your campaign and then you don't get funded? You don't, you get nothing. Let's say you collaborate with a photographer or a video maker or a designer and then you don't get funded. Oh, I mean, that's on you and your like negotiation. You know I mean? To me, like if you're gonna hire a creative, a recommended approach is give them a flat fee, like honor their time, because that is time they can devote to other work as well. And then if it doesn't get funded, then sorry, that's their flat fee. Like. You get that. But also if you have friends who like would gladly do, do you a favor, then cool. That's great. You're lucky. Money issues aside, if your campaign doesn't work, it will suck. It'll hurt. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Like I was very afraid. I was very prepared for like a few weeks of sulking. I would feel very disappointed in myself and I would feel ashamed in a way. Like that, these are all very human emotions that, that everyone will go through because you feel like you've let all of those backers, friends, family like down. Take that loss, spend a few weeks with your tail between your legs, that's cool. But after you're done, like once you see the light, once you're done limping, you have to like step back and acknowledge that to launch a campaign in itself was such like a bold act. It is admirable and you should pat yourself in the back because it's taken a lot of effort and sit with someone who can like go through everything that went wrong, everything that went right, and what could be improved if ever you were to revisit that campaign. So I think that would be my advice. Or even if it's worth revisiting, maybe like, maybe the, that's the verdict, that it's not an idea that, that a wide enough audience is ready for or desires. And that should be, you should be psychologically ready to accept that fate too. It's like you put yourself out there and they said, no, not interested. And that's fine. Every once in a while, I back something up on Kickstarter and there always seems to be a delay when it comes to the uh, deliverables or especially if they're like products that are not complete yet. Uh, did you experience anything like that as a campaign starter? Yeah, mine had a delay. The one thing I didn't know was the money, I think takes two weeks to get to your bank account. So I didn't do anything. I didn't have a credit card. I didn't have money to advance. Man, it's been, it's been a long time, but I think mine had a delay, but only by like two weeks, maybe a month at most, because I didn't factor that in. I only factored in the amount of time it took to print, plus like two weeks of sending them. I would advise anyone who's doing something similar to, to make those calls and, and get definite estimates of the lead in time for manufacturing distribution. Like if you have to work with, let's say Ascendia or DHL or whatever, how long does it take for them to get everything together? How long does it take for you to get them all the details they need? And then yeah, that time that you need to wait for that money to come in. Some creators are, are in a fortunate place in that they can advance things. They can pay things with, via their credit card to get everything going the day their campaign ends. 
but not everyone is in that, you know, is that fortunate. As for delays, if there are delays, I think the main thing is to keep communicating with your backers. That's another thing as well. Like you have to factor in, not everyone is good at replying. It's gonna take a while for you to get everyone's addresses and details because people will sometimes forget to reply or like Kickstarter updates are sent to their um, junk mail. Took me a long time to wrangle every single one of them. And to this day, there are maybe like two or three people that never gave me their details. They, uh, they gave me their money. I'm like, okay. Like, so if they ask for it, like, sure, I'll send it. And then there should be enough money set aside for like failed deliveries. So you can have to like try to deliver them again. It's gonna come out of your own pocket, unfortunately. Unless, unless your community is super like enthusiastic to just cover the cost themselves. There's that. Always keep it personal. Um, talk to them somewhat con constantly, like give them updates, get them excited as well. Like just say, oh, okay, we reached 100 backers, blah, 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 like 200 backers to celebrate. Here's a video of me dancing. I don't know. Stuff like that. There is a point where it plateaus. There's a point where you in the middle where it looks bleak and you'll go through a few hours, maybe a day without any new backers and you think it's the end. And it's possible that it is the end. And that's something you have to be really ready for. That's something that you have to have planned some sort of like new content or something or an event that'll get you out of that pit. In my case, I think around that point, I had sent a few samples to people I knew in the Philippines that had like a bit of clout. And then it resulted in like a few articles written and Instagram stories and stuff. And I got a little more momentum out of that. How much did you sleep during your Kickstarter campaign? I averaged about like two to four hours a night. Oh my God, okay. Now that we are all quarantined at home, even though I know there are people who will tell me this is not quarantine, it's just a lockdown, you know, okay, just the lockdown. How did you see the way people communicate changing? It's interesting observing. So when the lockdown started, I think I was slow to, in terms of like so cards and all that, like I was so much slow to act that I wasn't in any rush to be like, okay, I need to put out quarantine content. And a lot of brands did, I think. And a lot of marketers had that mindset. I think most brands make it look kind of weird, actually. You know, we went from, hey, buy a car to buy a car and stay home. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's like it, it came from buy a car to we're in this together, buy a car. Um, and I didn't want to do that. It's so disingenuous and it, it's gross. It's scummy to sort of take advantage of this situation. You know, it's like when people, when brands would hijack hashtags, if there was a typhoon, like the, and there was an official hashtag for typhoon aid, influencers and brands would do that. They would use that to like sort of promote, like bump their tweet or photo up because everyone's searching for that hashtag and it's, it's gross. I mean, news jacking can, can be fun and beneficial if you do it right, but many brands do not. But what does it mean to do it right? So to me, like I didn't want to put anything out unless I thought it added some sort of value. I will say there were people that reached out and said, hey, like everyone's gonna stay home. Like this is a great time for people to play slow cards. Like maybe you should advertise that. And I'm like, no, ew, like I don't wanna, like they were like, oh, you should put out a video that says like, oh, now that you're spending so much time at home, get to know your, your family deeper, get to know your roommates deeper. I'm like, no, that's so icky. So I think a week or so after like lockdown orders started um, in different parts of the world, 
the first thing I put out that was COVID related or COVID adjacent really was just uh, this post about socializing in isolation. Really that we're just saying like, look, some of us will be are a little freaked out by this and some of us wouldn't be able to talk about it. Like <clears throat> there are friends out there who were like, who are just so deep in loneliness that you don't even know. And so I just put in like, okay, here are things that you could do. Talk to your family, talk to your grandparents, blah, blah, blah. And in the end, put out a little card that you can share like to state, tell your friends like, hi, I'm here, call me whenever. And at any point, not once did I mention the cards, did I mention liking, commenting, whatever, sharing. It's just more like, here it is. I didn't even put the website on the, the last bit here. This is something that's useful. Take it and run. And if you want to hang around, cool. And then that was it. That was the last like COVID thing. Um, and then, yeah, that's, that's really sort of like my philosophy with it. Um, I know there are influencers who are just like, okay, we're in a time of crisis. This is my time to shine. This is my time to like give them advice and, and tell them that we have to stay positive. We must pull through. If you find a silver lining, comment below. And I'm like, oh, gross. And then they, they, they sound super concerned and caring and everything. And they just like ruin it by like anchoring it with 30 hashtags in the end. I'm like, ah, oh, we can see your true colors right there. Like this feels like a marketing ploy and we don't need marketing right now. Like we just need empathy. We need compassion, we need community. And it shouldn't matter if it translates to sales. But outside of, of marketing, do you think we managed to adapt to communicating with everybody through screens. I mean, it's something we've already been doing. Yeah, sure. But there was always that like feeling that connecting with others through screens is like superficial. Whereas when you meet up in person for coffee or anything else, that's when you reach the real connection. I will say that it still does fall short compared to in-person interaction, like looking someone in the eye. Like you can't do that in the screen. We're always looking at a corner or yourself. Although I think I read that Apple will add some AR or like XR uh, layer uh, to their cameras so they can actually, you know, warp your eyes so you appear to be looking at the person you're talking to. Yeah, I mean, even if that works though, there's still some a difference in when, in when you can observe the way someone breathes or their posture. Yeah. Um, and even in the inflection, like, yeah, you can hear like people's voices, but there's still like little quirks that you can't pick up um, through this. And I, and I miss that. And, and, you know, like touch, touch is a big deal. Like just putting your hand on someone's shoulder. That's so powerful, you know, when, when done in the right moment. That's something that's so off limits right now. You can't do that. It's taboo. Um, but we've done all right. Like the way people have adapted, like we are, humans are resilient species. That's why we're still here. And, and, and the way we've ad adapted is, is wonderful. The way creatives have adapted, the way like communities have banded together um, to help those who can't, let's say, do groceries or whatnot. Um, it's amazing. I am relieved that this pandemic is happening in this age, as opposed to the age of dial-up, for example. <laughs> Would you ever host a Skip the Small Talk event as an online conference? I've been asked. I keep going back to the thought that if I want to do it, I want to do it in a way that I'm really confident with the idea. And as opposed to just trying to merely adapt a format into like a pandemic friendly way. Question. Can you just briefly explain how does 
a skip or a beyond small talk event look like? It's three rounds of very intentional interaction. Everyone comes in either with a friend or alone, and they're all strangers, and you're not allowed to talk about work, school, news, weather, sports. No, you can talk about sports or traffic if you're in LA. So all the usual go-to conversations out, and then you all get set into groups. You all shuffle into groups of four to six, and through three rounds, you use these cards to get to know one another in a fairly intense, sped-up way. And it culminates in the third round in which there are no cards, but I ask them all one question that is like a big, uh, someone would say a debate. It's like an either or question. And you go into one side of the room if you believe one thing, other side of the room if you believe the other thing. And then I, I facilitate like this discussion. So if, if it's, uh, let's see, we've had discussions on government intervention in parenting and parenting and child rearing. And it's gotten pretty heated and people are very passionate with their views and everything. But what's amazing is it's a it's a format in which you're able to talk to people from like the that are diametrically opposed to your beliefs in a way that's still civil and you get to listen to one another. And in the end you always come together. People hang around for like hours after it's officially done. Um it's hard to really capture the whole essence of it until you've like been there. But all I know is there's magic in watching a bunch of strangers gather and go from very cautious and guarded to I want to hang around and get to know you and get your number and like have more beers with you till we get kicked out. Especially after the events are done and people like talk, show, they send messages and show pictures that like, cool, I'm still hanging out with people I met through your thing. That is so rewarding because everyone wants to connect. I think for whatever reason, people are just waiting for someone to give them permission. Okay, uh, where can people find you online? You know, Instagram handles and everything else. So cards and its whole like online presence. Um, I mean, most of it is on Instagram, at SoulCards, S-O-C-A-R-D-S. There's the website, SoulCards.org, where you can order the cards um, wherever you live. It is on Facebook. You can go like Facebook slash SoulCards, but it's more just like, it's the same stuff. Like more engaged, there's more like community and connection in the Instagram account. As for me personally, my Instagram handle is Miguel Thinks, T-H-I-N-K-S, and then my Website is Miguel Luis, M-I-G-U-E-L-L-U-I-S dot TV. And that's where all like my film stuff um, is. I just updated it actually with all my free time. I redid my website. Um, so yeah, that's my stuff. Um, yeah, but mostly get on the SoCards account. And I put out every day except for Sunday, I put out a new um, question that people can answer on the stories and then sort of have like a, an online discussion and it's fun. And you can find this podcast at virtualbeerpodcast.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. If you like this episode, please subscribe and even better, rate or review the podcast. I'm just starting out and I really appreciate your support. If you want to keep the episodes coming, pour caffeine into me. You can buy me a coffee at ko-fi.com slash A-R-S-E-N-O-V-I-C. That's ko-fi.com slash Arsenovic, which is my very Slavic last name. Virtual Beer.